good. Triumphal entry. That's good. No, 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 no. Because next week it will be bad. No, so, um, um, so this morning I was letting Chaz know outside that we were starting church a little late because of the breakfast and that we would be cutting a song. And he said, why can't we cut the sermon? <laughs> and he didn't really say, well, he did say that. So, so. Uh, my name's Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Uh, it's the lead up to what we celebrate next week uh, with the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we're continuing in our series. We'll take a break from our series in Surviving Egypt next week for an Easter sermon that'll be very unique and different. Uh, but this week, it's week eight of, of the life of Joseph. And I've titled the sermon, Kessid. That's the Hebrew word you see in the middle there, and that's the English alliteration, kesed. The C-H is like the C-H in Christ. It's kesed. So with that in mind, I have a couple of things to ask you. How good are we at experiencing and enjoying God's presence? I mean, and frankly, how would you define his presence? How would you define his love and faithfulness if you saw it? Like, can you say, oh, that's God's love, or that's God's faithfulness, oh, that's God's presence. What are the things or the times that make you say, ah, there's God, or, oh, now I can really feel his presence? Is it a good worship set? Maybe it's when you get that job you wanted, oh, there's God, I can see him in, in the job. Maybe when you're on vacation in the beautiful mountains somewhere, oh, I see God's handiwork. There's the presence of God. Maybe it's precious times around holidays with all your family, like Christmas or Easter. There's God's presence. There's the blessing. There's the love of God. Maybe it's after you have a particularly peaceful, quiet time with Heavenly Dad and his word over a nice cup of designer coffee. There's the presence of God. Right there in this latte. What about if when you lose a job, is there the presence of God? What about when a relationship ends or when family or friends betray you or maybe when you're falsely accused? Maybe you lose a loved one or God forbid, even a child. How do you define God's presence then? How do you define God's love then? It's certainly not the same thing as it is in comfort or quote-unquote blessing, right? So my goal for today is to redefine how we describe and experience God's presence. I want to begin to help you separate God's presence from circumstances. Because frankly, that's what we have been designed by the American church to associate with the presence of God, an experience. And our faith has become living and, living and looking for one experiential high to the next, just trying to make it through the valleys in between. And to do that, I'm going to teach you a new word for God's love and God's presence. And that I hope this new word becomes second nature. So with that in mind, let's look at the passage today. I'm going to start with something we've already preached on, Genesis 39, verse 2. <clears throat> the Lord was with Joseph. Remember, he had been thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. 
And the scripture describes this situation, this slave, betrayed by his brothers as the Lord was with him. And then Genesis 39, verses 21, you know what happened here? We talked about it last week. He's falsely accused of rape, and Potiphar has to throw him into prison. Genesis 39, 21, 23, look how it starts. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Amazingly, that whole thing, Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, is really actually all one Hebrew word. It's pretty wild. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was, he just got accused of rape. And now he's in the prison. Now he's running the place. Whatever was done there, Joseph was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Because the Lord was with him. Same word. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So like we do at Grace, like we take each passage and we look at three applications. The first one is the history. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? You know, Joseph really is a successful sufferer. Every time he suffers, he does it in a way that just is quite amazing. And the first thing I want you to see today is this is a long time, this story. This story about him getting into prison and then running it is not like he was thrown into prison on Sunday and by Tuesday he was running the joint. That's not like that. This was not a one-week story. These weren't overnight developments. Joseph, between slavery and Potiphar's house and his time in prison, it's at least 13 years combined. And think about this. For the last 13 years of Joseph's life, he's been betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit where they thought about killing him but didn't, but spared his life and were very gracious and sold him to slavery instead. He's unjustly accused of rape once he works his way to leading this general, Egyptian general's house, Potiphar. His wife wants to sleep with him, and he says no, and she says, well, then I'm going to accuse you of rape. He's unjustly accused of rape and then thrown in prison. And we know he was in, in prison at least two years, but honestly, it's probably about four times that length. So probably seven to eight years he's in prison, an Egyptian prison, not a club med prison. And so for years, Joseph's experience is this. He has no tangible earthly evidence that God was with him. He is suffering and suffering to no fault of his own. I mean, how long do you think it took for him to live in a faithful way, so much so that the prison warden notices? The warden doesn't notice like on day two, oh, this prisoner is different. I'm going to give him charge of everything. But over time, he develops trust. It took years. Guys, it took years of him waking up every day in a dungeon. Years, every morning, enduring scorn. Day after day after day after day. Certainly the prisoners would mock him for his faith. You follow this God of the Hebrews. Look where you are now, buddy. You're a rapist in jail with the rest of us. It probably took him years before he even got any privileges. And by the way, we're not talking about really nice things. We're talking about prison privileges. So it's a long time that he's dealing with this. 
But we see in Joseph this amazing supernatural perseverance. Perseverance. There's a reasonable expectation for us to think that at some point, Joseph would start thinking, man, maybe God is just against me. Like I said, he was probably mocked in his, for his faith in prison, just like Job's friends mocked him. All Joseph knows is this. At one point, he was dad's favorite son with a secure future financially, with the coat of many colors and the inheritance and everything. And now he's a stranger in an Egyptian prison. A falsely convicted prisoner in jail. If anyone had reason to be in the victim room and blame God, it would be this guy. Yet he is living in this Egyptian hellhole the only way a child of the covenant could. Supernatural faithful obedience. And he serves his God in prison because his gift of faith that God gave him, supernaturally gave him, keeps him faithful. Because frankly, if you think about it, faithfulness, that's all a real child of God is going to be able to do. I mean, a child of Egypt would have turned their back on God a long time ago. They probably wouldn't even made it to prison. But he perseveres. But I want you to see something that Joseph couldn't see. There was a grand plan. And put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He doesn't have the benefit that we have of reading this story in Genesis and seeing how God's hand uses it all to save a nation and, frankly, to give us our Savior, Jesus, through his brother. We can't, he can't see it, but we can. He can't see the fact that because of all the things he's going through, he will end up being the right man in the right place at the right time with the right connections and the right skill set for a day soon to come when Pharaoh, of the, the king of the strongest country on earth, would desperately need this Jewish prisoner to ease his mind and to save a country. He doesn't know that one day he will be the evidence of showing Christ-like mercy to his brothers who had betrayed him, his treacherous, wretched brothers. He doesn't know any of this is going to happen. All he knows is today I'm waking up in a dungeon for something I didn't do again. And somehow in that he still lives in peace with God when humanly speaking he should have been mad at God. How does this happen? Well, let's look at the spiritual application of this passage. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? We're going to learn a word today called kesed. That's the Hebrew word. You saw it at the beginning. In English, kesed. It's defined many different ways. Some of them are here. Steadfast love, loving kindness, covenant loyalty. Those are some of the ways that theologians try their best to come up with English words that describe this incredible Hebrew concept. This whole passage is not about Joseph. It's easy to read this passage and think it's about how Joseph rises to the top. Oh, by the way, in prison, <laughs> the top in prison. But this chapter, this passage isn't about Joseph. Did you know that? It's about Kesed. God's constant faithful presence, no matter what Egypt brings. So several people try to define this rich, majestic Hebrew word 
called Kesed. We don't have an English equivalent for it, so here's some of the ways they try to define it. Some say it's called steadfast love, a love that endures no matter what. And it's a good definition, and I really can't argue with it, but it's not my favorite. Some people have used this phrase, loving kindness. It's actually a word that was invented about 700 years, 600 years ago by a guy named Miles Coverdale, a reformer. And he wanted to figure out a way to describe this Hebrew word keset when he was doing his translation work. And he said, I know, I'll call it loving kindness. And that became a very popular way to translate this Hebrew word keset, and it's used in many English versions. Loving kindness. And it's a decent description <clears throat> describing love and compassion that God gives us. And this kind of thing, this kind of word gives us the warm fuzzies about God that we seem to experience every once in a while. Like when the band knocks it out of the park. But I don't think it goes far enough. So I searched. And I came up with a, I found a definition that I needed to tweak just a little bit, you know, because that's what I do. It's called covenant loyalty. Well, that's rich right there. Covenant loyalty. For me, this is my favorite way to define kesed. It's a never-changing presence. And here's how I would define it. It is a constant... See, this is the, the English word, and I have to define this new English word, right? It's, even, it's an English phrase. This is how majestic this word kesed is. A constant loving loyalty God has for his chosen people based upon a promise he made beforehand. All of that is packed into this one word, kesed. Steadfast love, loving kindness, covenant loyalty, which is a constant lo loving loyalty God has for his children based on a promise that he made before they were even born. This, church, is the very character of God toward his children. The fact is, if God is with you, if God is in your life, then kesed will be with you, his covenant loyalty. As a matter of fact, we have some verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and the first part of uh, verse 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Notice, not Egyptian blessings. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he has predestined us for adoption, a preview of next week's message. But for now, you see the concept that he has blessed us. How? In his choosing of us. How are we blessed? Not because we're good Baptists or good Presbyterians or good non-denominational Grace Lifeians or whatever we call ourselves. That's not how we receive the blessing of God. We receive the blessing of God because why? He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It is a covenant loyalty to his children based upon a promise he made beforehand. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because why? We earned it. No, he first loved us. It's the same sovereign kessid that God has for his chosen people that kept Joseph faithful even while he was a slave and in prison. I mean, get this. 
whether suffering in our life, Egyptian prisons, if you will, in our life come because of our own depravity or that of the depravity of others, his kessid, his covenant, covenant loyalty is with us. This is what we see displayed in Joseph's time in prison. It's a covenant loyalty. It's a kessid that even Egypt cannot interrupt. So that's the spiritual component of this passage. This is what God does. What does he do? Kessid. Now let's look at the personal. What about me? What am I supposed to do? How do I do it? I want to talk about successful suffering. So this week in the uh, social media campaign, uh, I wrote, it's more satisfying to make Heavenly Dad smile in suffering than it is in comfort. It's more satisfying to make Heavenly Dad smile in suffering than it is in comfort. Let me explain what I mean. I want to talk about the curse of comfort. See, it's one thing to be thankful and to celebrate God's presence, whatever that may mean to you, and trust God when things are going well. You got a good job, you're paying your bills, your relationships are good, the car is working fine, you got at least 2,000 miles before the next oil change, the, bat, the tires aren't bald, that's all good, things are going well. But the fact is, you know what happens with good times? Think about this. Good times will make us delusional. They blind us to the war that is really going on all around us in Egypt. And we confuse these temporary circumstances with God's blessing. We confuse things that are going well in our life with faithful covenant love. And good times make us forget, yo, people, we're still in Egypt. Joseph had a time of comfort in his life, right? At the beginning, God's fate, our dad's favorite, coat of many colors, the inheritance, all that stuff. And you know what his good time was, his time of comfort? It was just a countdown to slavery and false imprisonment. He was walking around, not a care in the world. God is good. God is good. Oh, no, I'm in a pit. My brother's going to kill me. Now I'm a slave. Now I'm accused of rape. Now I'm in jail. You see how earthly comfort makes us susceptible to temptation? We relax. We let our guard down. We forget we're still in Egypt. So that's the curse of comfort. I want to talk about the blessing of suffering. Let me explain. You see this picture? I, I took this picture probably 15 years ago. I was in New York, upstate New York. It was a beautiful summer day. Just kidding. You can see. See how high the snow is piled up next to that Hess sign? Isn't that crazy? See that sign? I, so I drove up to this corner, and there's a question mark with an arrow. What's it mean? Is it asking me, is it over there? I don't know what's over there. Maybe it's asking me, do you know what's over there? Maybe saying, do you want to go there? I have no idea what this sign is saying to me when I see it. And I say, you know what? I got to take this picture. And I've been dying to use it in a sermon ever since. So today is the day. Church, listen, life in Egypt isn't designed to give you answers. Oh, you think it should, and we keep looking for them, 
But life in Egypt is not designed to give you answers. Its comforts deceive us with false signs of hope. But suffering in Egypt, that's when God's covenant children are able to see Egypt for what it really is. You know what Egypt is? It's a collection of mysterious events and moments we can't possibly understand the full picture. Question for you. Where do you see Joseph flourishing spiritually? When he was running the prison or when he first arrived? Think about that for a minute. To assume that he is really doing well spiritually when his rise to power occurs, that somehow that comforted Joseph, discounts the power of Kesed in his life. That somehow running an Egyptian prison was more comforting than covenant loyalty, than Kesed that he had through all of it? See, it's in the suffering that enables us to experience the blessing of God's kesed, God's covenant loyalty with us. It's suffering in Egypt that actually, listen, removes the blinders from God's children, allowing us to feel more connected to Heavenly Dad than a killer worship set ever could. Maybe not a sermon, but a worship set. No, just kidding. Because let me tell you what's great about Kesed. Kesed always wins. Kesed is the big picture. Here's the problem, though. We want God's faithfulness to manifest all its blessings right away. All right, 24 hours later, but that's it. Here's the problem, church. Often, Kesed doesn't look like Kesed because it takes place over long periods of time. That's the story with Joseph. Between slavery and prison, it was 13 years. His success was in Kesed, God's covenant love and loyalty for him, a covenant God made with Joseph before Joseph was even born. And get this. Whether it was a pit, treacherous brothers, slavery, false imprisonment, whatever it was, here's what's great. Egypt could do nothing to stop Kesed. Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is... Kessid, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Frankly, some of you right now in your life are experiencing different Egyptian prisons. But this truth of Kessid, if you think about it just for a moment, even while you're in your Egyptian prison, Kessid can start to comfort your soul. It's soothing your heart and soul right now as you think about God's covenant, covenant loyalty to you. Kessid, sovereign loyalty, this morning is making itself known to you in ways Egyptian comfort never could.
You know what's exciting? When you experience this type of satisfaction with God in suffering, think about that for a minute. Satisfaction with God in suffering. You know what's really cool about this? This is the same thing that happened to your Savior. Isaiah 53.11 is a prophecy about Jesus, and it says this, Out of the anguish, the suffering of his soul, he shall be satisfied. Isn't that interesting? The times in my life where I felt as close and connected to God as I possibly could was when I was going through some of the worst pain I could imagine. Kessid. My soul was supernaturally satisfied, and we've given you this as the definition of joy, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. That's what joy means. It's not a big smile. It's supernatural satisfaction. That satisfaction came from the suffering in Egypt combined with Kesed, God's never-changing covenant love and covenant loyalty. This verse teaches us that suffering is how Jesus was most satisfied by his father's kessid. Just like Jesus and Joseph, we, when we get to heaven, we won't be asking. Think about this. In the end, we won't be asking, God, why did you let me suffer like that? When Joseph got to heaven, he didn't have to go to God and say, God, why did you let me be sold into slavery? Why did you let me be falsely accused of rape? No, when Joseph got to heaven, it all made sense. And he said, ah, Kessid. That's all I ever needed. Kessid. We won't be asking God, why did you allow me to go to, through that Egyptian prison? We will have at that point the benefit of hindsight like we have in Joseph's life right now. But for today, for today, by faith, even while many of us are struggling with Egyptian prisons, we trust that Kesed is preserving our souls right now as we speak. And we know that we will be satisfied with the result. It's satisfying our souls even as Egypt is attempting to blind us with its false comfort or it's trying to tear us down with its suffering. Kessid is how Joseph and we survive in Egypt. Without Kessid, we have no shot. But no matter what comfort Egypt offers or what prison it brings, what prison it tries to put us in, it doesn't matter. Kessid. God's never-changing covenant presence in any and all circumstances. Say it with me so you'll never forget again. Kessid. Say it again. Kessid. One more time. Kessid. Whenever you think of God's love from now on, think Kessid. Whenever you think of God's presence, Kessid. The supernatural never-changing, never-wavering covenant loyalty with those he has chosen before the foundation of the world. Heavenly Dad, thank you so much for Kesed, for this beautiful Hebrew word 
We pray that you would give us more and more insight and understanding into what it really is. Help us redefine what we think of as your presence. Help us begin to see that, our, that your presence and enjoying your presence is not tied to circumstances, be they good or bad. Please, God, don't allow Egyptian comforts to blind us from what's really going on around us. And no matter what prison we're in, Lord, help us keep our hearts and minds in tune with Kesed.